everyone, and welcome back to Moving Right Along, a Muppet movie podcast brought to you by ToughPigs.com. It's the podcast where we watch The Muppets Take Manhattan two minutes at a time and talk about it a lot. I'm your host, Anthony Strand. And I'm your other host, Ryan Rowe. And today we are talking about minutes 93 and 94 of The Muppets Take Manhattan. Technically, we're also covering minute 95 because... This movie is 94 minutes and 12 seconds long. That's right. We're at the end of the movie. This is our season finale. This is a a special bonus. You get 12 more seconds of of us talking about stuff. Supersized. Do you remember when NBC used to do like a supersized (laughs) Friends? That's what this is like. How much longer was that episode of Friends? I feel like they were 40 minutes with commercials. So they were were like 28, 29 minutes on on the DVD. That must have wreaked havoc when it came time for syndication. They had to make all those cuts right yeah and then just do it with friends they did will and grace actually the office they did it a couple of times oh yeah even that late you know hmm. but this is not an nbc thursday night sitcom podcast sadly so so we are talking about Muppets. do you want to do that do you want to start although like our, uh, our our previous guest um christy bauer has a podcast about caroline in the city so shout it's shout true. out to christy Yes, and um, also like so we don't. It, really it talk certainly about... is possible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, you know what? I think I feel like we have briefly talked about Veronica's closet and the single guy, but we don't really want to talk about those at length. So I don't think either of us has enough to say about Veronica's no, closet. No. We've said too much already. Uh, right. Like we could. I mean, you and I might both have enough to say about Veronica Mars if we were going to do a show. Veronica Mars's about, closet. About Veronica, that would be the one. I think. Right? Yes. Yes, you're right. Because we, we were both big fans of that, indeed, and we both guessed that the um, that the arsonist on the most recent season was insert name of Vic of <laughs> persecutor here. Spoilers. Anyways, <laughs> uh, all we're looking at a though in our actual show are the last two minutes of the credits. Most of this is just a list of names. There are a ton of names here, and we are not going to discuss them all. Um, we're just going to start out with going back and forth with some of the people that we think are interesting or noteworthy. And then we will discuss some other topics related to Muppets Take Manhattan at the end and maybe tease a little bit about what's to come. So as saying goodbye, please, I don't think we need to talk about saying goodbye again because we've heard the song. No, but it's, I do find it interesting that they chose to put this in the end credits because we've just had such a happy ending and this happy song, and now they're kind of bringing things down. Like, oh yeah, remember an hour ago when everyone was really sad and depressed? Right. Although we do hear, um, what, what is it again at the end? It's there's this together a reprise. Again yes, there's the another reprise of together again, which is much happier. Right. So they do still go out on a on a high note. Yes, of course. But but neither of those are well. I guess together again is a is a new recording, right? But saying goodbye is just. The it's, song we heard earlier in the movie. It's the same one. Yeah. This, maybe they yeah. were just making sure that people would leave the theater. People would be like, oh, no, not this sad song again. And they then they, they <laughs> leave the, you know, they go outside. And they just get up and run out. They run outside. They go next door to watch Ghostbusters or Star Trek Three, <laughs> yes, or Beverly a, Hills Cop. A legendary summer at the movies. It was. Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, I didn't even say. There's a, I mean, there's, there's a Gremlins lot of classics. out that same summer? Uh, Gremlins is a four. Uh, Spinal Tap may have been more like fall. Yeah. Now, now that I'm thinking about it, but but yeah, 1984 was a a big summer at the movies. What a year! 
which is uh, it's like Spinal Tap was March actually, so it might have still been hanging around. It was around some somewhere, years. yeah. But in this movie, we get the credits. So a couple of of people that I wanted to shout out. First one is under Muppet Design and Construction, we see Richard Termine's name, and Richard Termine is still to this day the onset photographer for Sesame Street. Yeah, he he does. A lot of that stuff. Yeah, he's. I think he's done some some similar work for the Henson Company, too. Yeah, I think that's right. He's one of the go-to guys for taking photos of Muppets. Right. And he, the wiki says he started working with them in 1980. So it's been okay. it's been 41 years at this point. And he does great, great work. You know, yeah. I, I was thrilled to see his name here. Yeah. Another The other one I wanted to talk about during uh, Muppet Design and Construction is Robin Kustin. I'm not sure how you pronounce that last name, but okay. Kustin or Kustin. She often comments on our Facebook page. Still, she's, oh, a, that, she's yes. an enthusiastic, tough pig. Yes, yeah, that's cool. We should maybe get her on the show at some point. Yeah, I think that'd be great. Um, if you're listening, hi, thanks for reading Tough Pigs. Yes, and let us know if you want to be on this podcast. Indeed. Um, so, uh, under Muppet special effects, there's Faz Fazakas, who I'm sure we talked about last season um, on the Great Muppet Caper. He was the the guy who sort of um, made the, he, he helped the Muppet workshop really advance with like building radio controlled puppets and stuff like that. Um, and then also Tom Newby, who uh, he's on Muppet wiki. He was seen on screen in the Jim Henson hour episode secrets of the Muppets. He's the guy who demonstrates a Waldo, uh, oh, awesome. radio controlled yeah, rig great. to Jojo the dog. Yeah. So he was, he was working in the workshop for a while there. Um, and then a guy named Larry Jameson Muppet wiki says that he, um, worked sometimes as a woodworker creating props, including instruments for the electric mayhem and also Kermit's banjo. And there's a photo oh. of him on his uh, Muppet wiki page posing with Raleigh Crewson on the set of Fraggle Rock. Uh, he is holding what appears to be a large mallet, which I assume he made and I guess was used by one of the Gorgs. So that's cool. Great. I love it. Yeah. We also see the credit Rack Kitchen Number staged by Jim Henson. I've heard of that guy. Yeah. That's the thing. I love that, like, well, finally, Jim Henson gets some credit for a Muppet thing. Yeah. I think I said in a previous episode when we were talking about that sequence, I think I said something like, yeah, I'm pretty sure Jim Henson directed this this sequence, but I don't remember where I heard that. Well, this is where I heard, heard it. it. The credits of this film. <laughs> right, you heard it in the credits. Yes. Because um but it it is it's very nice. I it says a lot about the kind of relationship that he and Frank Oz had that Jim Henson had directed the previous Muppet movie and now Frank directed this one and still gives Jim credit for this one sequence that he basically directed, you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That it's not, it's that their relationship was so genuinely collaborative that right. it's not like, oh, this is Frank's movie. I better be hands off or like, you know, stay away, Jim. This is my movie. Uh, you, you know? Yeah. No, it's nice to think of them as not having, yeah, not having those little, those, those kinds of conversations. Right. Uh, under Muppet staff, there are a couple of notable people. In fact, I just mentioned uh, the studio coordinator uh, is her credit. It's Rollin Cruson. Uh, she is still working at Henson today. She's been there forever. Uh, she's still building 
puppets uh, for that they use on Sesame Street. Um, so she's, you know, you just think about someone who's been there that long and how many hundreds or thousands of of Muppets she's built and worked on. Uh, gotta, and then, be, gotta be thousands. Yeah, yeah. And also the Muppet rigging coordinator, Jane Gutnick, who also is still working on Muppet and Henson projects. Uh, she Her credits on Muppet Wiki go up as recent as Muppets Now, so she's still there too. I don't know exactly what a rigging coordinator did on this movie, but she's just, you know, another another one of the MVPs of uh, the Muppet Workshop. But perhaps we could ask her because she's still working. Yeah, yeah, we we could. <laughs> yeah, you, you know what I mean? Um, another credit that we see is Miss Piggy's hairstyles, Christine Cooper. Yep. Which, well, of course, gut instinct is to say, oh, so she's to blame. Oh, yeah. Christine Cooper. <laughs> the perm. But, but right, the, for the perm, right. But you look it up on Muppet Wiki. She was also Miss Piggy's hairstylist on The Great Muppet Keeper, where we can all agree Piggy looks great. And yes. styled Piggy's hair for some of the calendars in the early 80s, where Piggy also looks great in every single one of those pictures. The, you, yes, the, amazing, yes. To, to make a pig so the, look so glamorous and, and beautiful, yeah. Right. Uh, so Christine Cooper clearly was just going with the style of the time. Yeah, she was. And yeah, she was just good at what she was doing. It's not her fault. Yeah, it's not her fault that it has not aged well. Right, it's, it's not right? her fault that yeah that that's what real life women were doing with their hair. Right. Yeah. Uh, the the wiki uh, specifically um, mentions her uh, doing Miss Piggy's Bo Derek inspired braids. Uh, all the, it says created with Callista Hendrickson, but. Um, yeah, that's a a picture that we've seen, like I think, on some of the calendars, and it shows up in Miss Piggy's Hollywood when Piggy meets uh, Dudley Moore. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's good stuff. Um, Do you have anyone else you want to talk about? Yeah. So there's a credit assistant to the producer Rita Marie Perugi. So at this point, she's an yeah. Assistant. I noticed that too. Yeah, an assistant to the producer. She has since served as the producer and executive producer on many, many Henson productions. Uh, you can look up her credits on the wiki or even on IMDb. Uh, but yeah, a ton of stuff. And uh, again, it's still working. And her projects or her credits go as recent as Earth to Ned and the upcoming Fraggle Rock series that's going to be on Apple TV+. Plus. Right. She's, as far as I know, the lead producer on the new Fraggle Rock series. Yeah, I believe she's just the producer of that. Like, yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. Yeah. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. Um, but and actually, circling back to to NBC Thursday Night Supersized, oh, good. the credit assistant to the producer reminds me of Dwight Schrute being the assistant to the regional manager. Of course, <laughs> right, right. Do you think she it went around telling like her people credit should... that, that she was the assistant producer? Assistant then, producer, yeah, yeah, right. And then, then the the producer would say, uh, "Assistant to the producer." Right, exactly. <laughs> um, so the only other one that I wanted to talk about was Todd Maitland who is credited here as Boom Man. Yeah, that's a great title. Meaning that he, he, meaning that he operated the Boom. But for, first of all, I love that it, Boom Man. Boom Man. Sounds like one of these people who's like in the Great Lakes Avengers or Justice League Europe or something. Uh, or just like the Legion of Superheroes. Legion of Superheroes, yeah, exactly. It, just it like would one be of Boom these Boy, like one-off I guess. Joke. Yeah. It, it, I guess so, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, 
but he, he just can like make a very loud noise with his mouth, right? <laughs> right. Boom, man. Yeah. But but Todd Maitland also in real life has gotten four Oscar nominations in sound categories. Whoa. Um for for most recently Joker in 2019. Wow. Yeah, but 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 also I know JFK was one of them. Hmm. Um I should I, sh- I should look up what they all were. Let me let me double back and say what they all were. Um so, just cuz I think that's really cool. Yeah, is he related to uh Dick Maitland who Worked on Sesame Street forever. Dick Maitland, as far as I know, he is not. I, I don't see any indication that he is. Okay. Um, he was born in 1957, so he was in his mid-20s at the time of this movie. But yeah, he's been nominated for four Academy Awards in sound categories. Most recently for Joker in 2019. Before that for Seabiscuit, JFK, and Born on the Fourth of July. Wow. And he started out right here on Love Take Manhattan. In the role of Boom Man, yeah, just holding a holding a microphone over Dabney Coleman's head, <laughs> right? Exactly. Amazing. Yes. So, any other credits you wanted to mention before? We uh, I, I noticed uh, th- there are some special thanks. Um, Robert Greenhut, who's he's a producer. IMDb says he's best known for Working Girl, Annie Hall, Dog Day Afternoon. Uh, and then also Michael Pizer, who is a producer who worked on Matilda, Desperately Seeking Susan, and Ruthless People, among others. I don't know what they did on this, but it's it's I don't know. It's always interesting to <laughs> to see a special thanks like that and, and speculate like maybe they just helped make some connections well, at the. Well, I was going to say I don't know I, what was the second fellow's name. Michael Pizer. Right. His credits don't jump out at me as much for this reason. But Robert Greenhut, you said Working Girl, Annie Hall. Dog um, Day Afternoon. Like he worked on, Dog Day Afternoon looks like he worked on Big. Yes. Those are all super New York City is a character type of movies. Oh, you're right. Yeah, what I, like, what I was going to say is maybe they helped the production like get in with the, you know, the New York City film and TV office. Yeah, I bet that's right. It seems likely based yeah. on the credits. Um, and there is another special thanks to the New York City Mayor's Office of Film, Theater, and Broadcasting. So, yeah, maybe some connection there. Um, mm-hmm. There's a special thanks to Robin Garson Oz, who was the wife of the director at the time that this movie came out. So, Aww. that's nice. That's yeah. very sweet. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, special thanks to Christopher Surf, who we also established uh, plays the. What, what did he do for the, Rolf? The Glissandos for the Glissandos for, Baby for Ralph, Ralph on the piano. Right. Yeah. yeah. Which is, that's, that's great. I love that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, the, yeah. And there's that also is, that uh, is a, a great ball of fur, if you will. Hey, <laughs> I will. Uh, there's also a special thanks. Uh, well, so Children's Television Workshop, which presumably is for the use of the Sesame Street characters. Um, Dave Connor, I was not able to figure out who this is exactly or what he might have done. There was a Dave Connor who worked on the music for Sesame Street for decades, but it's spelled differently. So either his name oh, is really? misspelled. Yeah, cause, it could cause be the same guy. And that's they just who, that's it who I here. assumed it was. Yeah, yeah me too. Because uh, uh, that David Connor who worked on Sesame Street is spelled C-O-N-N-E-R. And this says... Special thanks to Dave Connor, C O N N O R. Maybe just a typo. Maybe it's the same guy. Right. Hmm. 
I guess I guess we'll never know. Or we could ask Frank Oz. <laughs> we could ask Frank Oz, and he he might be like, ah, oh, that's my biggest regret from that whole movie. Misspelled Dave Connor's we name. We spelled Dave Connor's name wrong. Uh-huh. Poor Dave. Yeah. Well, hope, hopefully he appreciated it anyway. Unless it's another Dave Connor and they spelled his name right. And he was like, yes, I got a credit. <laughs> yeah, it sure could be. So there's a lot more names. Um, I don't have any more that I want to talk about. Ryan, do you? I do not. Those are all the names that I want to talk about. Right. All um, these people have the families. Was- you know, they all did great work on this movie. We're all very grateful to them. And Absolutely true. Yeah. Yes, so you should make sure, listeners, make sure that you read every name in the credits yeah. at the end of this and every movie. Read them out loud with your family. <laughs> yes. I actually, we do, so I'm sure many of our listeners know that Pixar and Disney movies have a section at the end called Production Babies. Yeah. It, in which they list the first names of every child born to someone who worked on the movie while the movie was in production. Every time we watch a movie that has production babies at the end, my wife and I pause the movie, stand by the TV, and alternate reading them out loud to our children. That's cute. Yes, and every time that, in, and there is, not always, but there is often a name of a friend or a cousin or something in there, you know? And so they'll get really excited. Somebody when they, one the of the names name. is somebody that they know. Yeah, right, yeah. right. right. And and uh, there there's one I think it's Tangled has both Miles, which is my son's name, and Nathan, which is my brother-in-law's name. Oh, and uh, so my kids were flipping out about that. Yeah. Oh man! <laughs> so so we re- we really do read the credits out loud sometimes in my house. That is cute. Did it start because your kids wanted to know what the names were, and you were like, "Oh well, let me tell you. Here's all what all the names are." Yeah, like, yeah. They, it was when I was probably. It. Yeah, it was when Iris was probably two or three. Yeah, something okay. like that was when we started doing it. That's fun. I, we, I recently saw. Uh, I recently recently saw the movie Wolf Walkers, which is not a Pixar production, but it is an animated family movie and very good. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, it's great! There is a section for production babies, but there's only like five or six of them, so it go, that goes by very quickly. You could easily read all those production babies, right? Yeah, a, a lot more studios have been doing them. Like uh, Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse has production babies on it, oh, so, nice. for example. Hmm. That's a fun way. You know, you're a baby and you already have a movie credit. What a what a cool uh, <laughs> right. what a cool baby gift. Right, for sure. And then we also see that this movie was filmed at Empire Stages of New York in Long Island City, New York. Yes, that now, is in Queens. Yeah, I was going to say. Correct me if I'm wrong. Long Island City is not actually on Long Island correct? Well, so the island that is Long Island is also the island that has Queens and Brooklyn on it, but oh, okay. The, okay. The, the neighborhood of Long Island, Queens, is not on the part of Long Island that is called Long Island, <laughs> because that's when you get outside of the, the boundary of the city of New York, and you're right. into like the the smaller towns and stuff, but yeah, I, I don't, at some point it was all long Island and then they divided it up. I don't know. Someone out there is there. If you're, if you're a historian of, of New York city or long Island, please uh, let us know how and when that all got divided up. Right. So I wanted to look up other movies that were shot at empire stages of New York 
Longfellow oh, yeah. City yeah, Greens. I, you know, I tried to look up where it was located, but I wasn't able to find it. Yeah. There are so IMDb only has four movies that list that location in the credits. Hmm. And I'm sure that there were other movies shot there that just don't credit it yeah, the same way incomplete. or something. Right. But it's 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 Muppets Take Manhattan, Sidney Lumet's Running on Empty, not not one of his classic hits, but a Sidney Lumet movie from the 80s. Dead Presidents, the Hughes Brothers movie starring uh, Lorenz Tate and Keith okay. David and Chris Tucker. And uh, and the last one, yeah, they're like Muppets Take Manhattan seems to be the most noteworthy by far. But the uh, last one was uh, Falling in Love, the romantic drama starring Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep from 1984. Uh, so, Robert De Niro and Meryl Streep. I don't know if I know about that. Yeah, it's it, and and of course it's a Deer Hunter reunion at the time. I mean, it, <laughs> that would be a Deer Hunter reunion today, I suppose. But yeah. <laughs> wow. that was a fairly recent movie at the time. Right. Huh. Uh, what year was Dead Presidents? 1995. So much later than the rest okay. of those. Yeah, because uh, Empire Stages, as far as I can tell, no longer exists and has not existed for some time. But uh, I wonder... Right. So that might have been one of the last ones. In the later years. Yeah. Huh. So there's a few other movies that you can check out if you want to see Empire Stages of New York. Yes, and just imagine them being filmed on the same stages as, you know, Pete's Luncheonette or Bernard Crawford's Office. Right. And speaking of Pete and Bernard Crawford, um, I guess those guys aren't listed here. But after the after filmed at Empire Stages, then we get the human cast of, like, not the main characters. Yeah, does that seem really late in the credits to be listing the cast? It's, it seems... It seems super late. Yes, yeah. it's very strange to me. Yeah. Like I would think that, well, especially when you see the location, that's usually one of the last things, right. right? It's like location, songs, you know, soundtrack available on Walt Disney Records. Yeah, and the MPAA and then number. It's over. Yeah, yeah, right. So, but anyways, we don't. We're not going to talk about the human cast again. We already did talk about some yeah, of these. Yeah, there are a few that I think we skipped we, over because we forgot that they were credited so i apologize to those people but uh yeah there are you but can... we talked about we talked about milton seaman and that's what's important we did yes and yeah you can look them all up they're all out there right and uh and so then but then the credits actually do end as we mentioned together again starts playing and then animal starts yelling bye bye a bunch of times yes and i have to say i don't know if you noticed this but um the version that we watched, actually, or at least when I played it, <laughs> the clip, uh, it cut off a little bit early. Oh. So I don't know how many times you've watched this all the way to the end of the credits, but Animal does well, say... You, you, I rarely shut any movie off before the credits are over. Yeah, Animal says bye, 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 bye. And then he this got cut off before the end of the clip for me, but he does say hasta luego. Oh, yeah, he does. Yeah. Yeah, huh. which is a fun way to punctuate the movie. Right. But, um, and I think I think we may have already talked about this during the Muppet Babies sequence, but the original Muppet Babies series, every episode ends with animals saying, go, bye-bye. Yeah. So that's clearly a direct lift from this movie. I think it must have been inspired by that. He yeah. also says bye-bye at the end of, uh, or no, he says go home. It's just go home. No, yeah, he, he, says, he says go, go home, home, go at home, bye-bye. Go, yeah. home, go home, bye bye. At the end of the Muppet movie, and of course, Gonzo says, uh, "I'll send you each a copy." At the end of the Muppet Keeper, yeah, but yeah, Animal and is the guy we, who says bye bye. Yeah, so here he does it again, and 
we don't actually see him this time. We just hear him. In the Muppet movie, he looks right in the camera, doesn't he? Yes, he's in the theater. Yeah, because yeah. they're just they're just running around the projection room. Yeah. Right. But uh, so that brings us down to the end of Muppets Take Manhattan, the third Muppet movie, the last one made during Jim Henson's lifetime. Wow. We did it. We did yeah. it, Ryan. That's we, the movie. We, we, yeah. We finished three of these things somehow. That's the trilogy. But before, that's the trilogy, and and I mean maybe this is a good time to say it. I think it really does hang together as like thematically a trilogy. Certainly. Yeah, I, as we've talked about, obviously there's no continuity, think, but, but yeah, it, there are a lot of ways where it, it does feel like that. Yeah, I mean the the first one is all about like this is how it started, and. The second one is like, now we're just making a movie. We're just having fun. No pressure. And then this one is like, what happens when life gets you down? How do you recover? How do you go back to having fun? Well, And it's also about, we're going to go our separate ways sometimes, but we're always going to get back together to put on a show and have fun. Right. Yeah. So man, like I always, there's four Toy Story movies now, of course. So I can't, I used to always say that the Muppet movies and the Toy Story movies were my two favorite trilogies, but I guess neither of them really are a trilogy because there's there's future movies, right? Both, right? But, you could say the Henson Muppet movies, right? I guess I could say the pre-Forky Toy Story movies. Yes, yes, you could. Yeah, and we should also um, mention that the Muppets predicted Toy Story four in the song "We're Doing a Sequel" in Muppets Most Wanted. That's true. That is a good point. And because I remember when my daughter was little, she would like be like, ah, there's no Toy Story 4. And then after it came out, every time she's heard that song, she's just been like, Tom Hanks did make Toy Story 4. He did it. He did it. He succeeded. Yeah, we knew he Uh, did. Yeah. Yeah, That movie's okay. I I should watch it again. I've only seen it twice. Toy Story 4? Which is, yeah. Oh, yeah. Which is approximately 1 50th as many times as I've seen the others. (laughs) Yeah, it, you know? it's it's fine. I, yeah, I watched all four of them <clears throat> within a week, uh, a few, I don't know, maybe a year ago. Yeah, they're all they all hold together pretty well. Yeah, my my kids were really into the Forky asks a question shorts. Oh yeah, on Disney Plus for a little while. Yeah, but they didn't. They never really wanted to watch that movie. We would watch the older huh. movies. We'd watch the the Halloween special, but like Toy Story four. I I, I think the ventriloquist dummies they don't like yeah no that's scary stuff like that that's very scary but before we go uh before we close out here there were some more things we wanted to say about muppets take manhattan so ryan you said you had something about uh promotional items yes um so this was you know this was the third muppet movie that it was the one like the muppets had been away for a while because um, Muppet, the Muppet movie came out while the Muppet show was still on the air. The Great Muppet Caper came out right after the Muppet show ended. But this one is like, yeah, here, here's the Muppets again. You love them. They're back. Um, well, I was going to say uh, on that, just as long as you bring that up, previous like Muppet production with these characters was John Denver and the Muppets Rocky Mountain Holiday. Yeah. Which aired on TV on May 12th, 1983. So that's 13 months before this movie came out. Right. So like they really hadn't done anything in over a year. They were yeah. they were they were completely gone. <laughs> you know? Yeah, people are ready to see them. Yeah. So tell me. 
<laughs> yeah, so I found a few things. Um, I, I should have organized these. I put a, should have put them in some logical order, but I did not. So in no particular order. That's um, okay. One item sure. I found was in the Indianapolis Star on July 14th, 1984. There was a brief piece quoting Statler and Waldorf. Who it, It's interesting because you don't normally see press with them. Uh, they were not excited about the movie. It says, uh, quote, the curmudgeonly Waldorf conceded he hadn't bothered to see the movie he appears in. I don't go to that kind of film. Statler described his cameo role this way. We see this stupid pig and frog and make tacky remarks about them. They're just disgusting. Both refused to participate. (laughs) (laughs) Both refused to participate in the star's wedding scene because they said they don't believe in condoning bestiality. Why? <laughs> End quote. So, and it's bananas. I, yeah. Now, I, yeah, I, I don't think I've ever seen an interview like given in character by Statler and Waldorf, you know, in live uh, in real time by Jim Henson and and Richard Hunt. But I, I would, I, I would believe that they got on the phone and and did an interview and that it turned out like that. I guess. Just them, yeah, just them yeah. messing around, and that made it to print. Right. So right. <laughs> that's that's wacky. Huh. Um, but having said that, there was a lot of talk in the promotional stuff and in the press when this came out about the fact that it was really the only major G-rated release of the summer. Uh, it was positioned oh, as sure, a, yeah. like this is the safe movie for all ages. You can take your kids to it. You're going to like it too. Jim Henson actually himself talked about that a lot in interviews. Uh, he said, you know, he thinks it's good that there should be uh, different options for the whole family to see. Uh, I, I think if this came out today, though, it would probably be a PG with some uh, of the stuff that happens. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess that's right. Like the Kermit getting hit by a car and I don't know. I, I think probably a PG yeah. today. There's so few Gs. Yeah, I guess so. Well, right. Every, everything's PG now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um. There, oh, so an entry on the Jim Henson Redbook blog tells us that the tie-ins for the release included packaging for Cheerios, Fritos, Oral-B toothbrushes, and various post cereals in Canada. But apparently only in Canada? I don't know why we, we didn't get this we had, here. So we had Cheerios in the U.S., though, so General Mills. I guess just Cheerios here and, yeah, post cereals in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. So that probably is why. Like, I wonder if it was like General Mills had the had the license here, you know. So I, I'm sure you're right. Yes. <laughs> I also found in the Edmonton, Alberta Journal from that summer there was a coloring contest where kids 12 and under could color a picture of the Muppets and send it in for a chance to win tickets to a preview of the movie, or one of 10 Crayola Muppet clay kits, which sounds exciting, or a Norco BMX Spitfire bike, which is also exciting. But the second prize, yeah. the second prize is, is the best one. You could win one of five Muppet watches. That's right. Wait, you, wait, wait, if wait, you, wait, wait. <laughs> if you colored a picture <laughs> of the Muppets and sent it into the Edmonton Alberta Journal... You could get a free watch. Did you say get a free watch? Yes, I said get a free watch. 
wow canadians can get a free watch uh that's right they got a free watch i don't know when so. you see the sign in canada especially for you yay i'm so glad we got to do that again <laughs> me too uh, it's just so satisfying every time oh, every single time for us and maybe for one or two other people listening <laughs> Uh, so they also had an exhibit uh, on, about the film in Central Park in a historical building called The Dairy uh, that ran from June 30th to September 3rd, 1984, according to the Jim Henson Red Book blog. And That's according, cool. yeah, according to the New York Daily News on June 24th, 1984, there was a celebrity sneak preview of the exhibit. So I wonder which celebrities showed up. It does not... Uh, specify maybe some of the cameo celebrities um, from the movie yeah gregory hines was there Shield. So. yeah liza minnelli yeah i hope so yeah uh also in 1984 uh, coinciding with the time the film was released the henson people created um oh, where did i find this what I forget. This might have been from the Red Book blog also. But they described it as the first themed shop within a shop boutique of any kind at F.A.O. Schwartz, the the big toy store in New York. Uh, It says, art director Michael Frith oversaw the design of the space fashioned to look like a Victorian theater lobby. Video players showed Henson programming, and during the opening party, the Fraggle Rock Radish Jam and Cartwheel Society led a sing-along. I don't know what that means, but I would love to see that. Sorry, sorry, sorry. sorry. The Fraggle Rock Radish, radish comma, Jam, uh, comma, radish jam. and Cartwheel? Radish, radish Jam, jam. So is like, not separated like, by commas. Like, like Radish Jelly and I, or like a Radish Music... But also, but also cartwheels. Cart, yes, and cartwheel society. That's so good. Yeah, I've never it's seen so pictures or footage we, of this, but I would love to. Listen, listeners, if you were a member of the Friggle Rock Radish Jam and Cartwheel Society, <laughs> please let us know. Please tell us more info. We would we would be delighted to hear. Yeah, yeah, we want to know more about that. Um, but yeah, so just like I guess clips of the movie were one of the one of the things that was playing on the on the video players in this uh, shop within a shop at FAO Schwartz. So that's cool. Great. Um, I do also, I cannot let it ask without noting that you said FAO Schwartz, the big toy store in New York. FAO Schwartz is also the toy store in the movie Big. So (gasps) it's like, that's what you meant. It is. It is the big toy store. And it is also the italics big toy store. Yes. Indeed. Although sadly, so, it's no longer there all. in that location. I don't know what. I don't know if the new location is. It's probably not as big as it used to be. But it's yeah. It's now it's a miniature toy store. It's yeah. Now it's, it's the movie Little. Did you see that? Did you see that movie <laughs> Little starring starring Regina Hall and Wait. the girl who plays Diane on Blackish? Does the movie Little have a scene that takes place in the new location of of F.A.R. Schwartz? That would be amazing. I'm sure it doesn't. I, I don't think it does. I don't think it does. I've seen ah, missed opportunity. Yeah. Uh, another thing they did to promote the movie was uh, they published this uh, thing that I'm holding in my hand right now. I know the listeners cannot see it, but uh, what is this called? It's 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 like a magazine, but it's very large. It's uh, oh. a, a Muppets Take Manhattan. It's also kind of like a like a 
program that you would get at a, a show or a musical, but this is full of uh, pictures of the Muppets and the cast, and it has all these bios. I, I actually bought this uh, used at a Comic-Con, so these are out there if you want to look for it on eBay or something. Um, it has bios of all the cameo guest stars also. We should have been using this the whole time now that I think about it, every time a cameo star popped up. Um, yeah. Some oh, uh. of the uh, it, it, the bios for the, the Muppet characters are funny. There's stuff like uh, it's uh, so there's one for the band, which is just it covers all the members of the band. It says they actually met at Woodstock during the Festival of Peace and Love. They had come from varied backgrounds: Animal from a used car lot in Detroit, Janice from San Francisco, Doctor Teeth from Pittsburgh, and Floyd from Florida. Zoot can't remember where he came from, but their love for music brought them together. For years, the band played weddings and bar mitzvahs. Then they met Kermit. Now they play Muppet movies and weddings and bar mitzvahs. Yeah, so that's fun. I I don't think that's there's fun, a, yeah yeah I don't think there's a writer credited for this thing, but um that's yeah I like that. I don't know if uh, it's been stated anywhere else that Doctor Teeth is from Pittsburgh, <laughs> but that's interesting. Yeah, so but he goes to Pittsburgh in this movie. That's true. So. Yes, he's going back to his his hometown. Um, or whoever wrote the bio just misunderstood what was happening in the movie. Could be, yes. Is there a is there a bio for Thog or Sweetums or any other character who does not appear in the film? Thog and Sweetums do not appear in the film, so sadly they do not get uh, they do not get bios. There, here's a fun picture of the rat sitting at a table, and Yolanda is reading a romance novel called Sweet Rodent Rapture. By Lavinia huh. Lovesop. <laughs> I'll try to scan right. some of these if if I can if I can I'll try to scan some of these and uh, and post them in the show notes because I don't know if if these are out there. Yeah, that's great. That's that's wonderful. Yeah, here's a great two page a great two page spread of the Muppets in their lockers. There they are. Yeah, yeah. that's fun. J- Janice is sharing with anyone who has a jacuzzi. Anyone who has a jacuzzi. Um. Yeah, so it's neat that they did this. I don't think they really did anything quite like this for any of the previous movies or later movies. So, right. um, yeah, this is a cool thing. And if I knew exactly what to call it, I would tell you... Oh, it's a movie special magazine. Um, so if you want to look for it on hmm. eBay, that's uh, that's the way to look for it. And it is large. It is bigger than an average-sized magazine, which... which it, it's If I do want to scan photos, it's possibly not going to fit on my scanner at home but right take it to the public library yeah i should yes maybe they have a giant scanner you know you yeah no uh yeah so that is what i found about the the promotional uh phase of this movie great and then the second thing you said you want to talk about is what the reviews were like the critics were there's they were savaging they were throwing <laughs> in hurling insults I don't know. What what did they think? Uh, it was mostly positive-ish from what I have, have seen. Uh, I, I really liked Roger Ebert's review in the Chicago Sun-Times. That was his paper, right? That's correct. Yeah. Uh, he wrote his in the form of a letter to Kermit. 
I won't read the entire thing, but it starts out, Dear Kermit, I hope you will take this in the right spirit. I know you've been tortured for some years now by an identity crisis ever since you were discovered sitting on that log down in the swamp strumming your ukulele. Um, that's funny because Roger Ebert refers to Kermit's banjo as a ukulele in his review of the Muppet movie. And a few years later, he had still not figured out that it was a banjo. Probably wasn't thinking about it too much. He probably wasn't paying attention. Um, So then he goes on to say, You are obviously not a frog. You have none of the attributes of a frog, except for your appearance and your name. In your first film, The Muppet Movie, you were sort of a greenish, overgrown pop singer, an amphibian Frankie Avalon. In your second movie, The Great Muppet Caper, you were cast adrift in a plot that really belonged to the human guest stars. You basically had the supporting role, making the humans look good. Only in The Muppets Take Manhattan, your third film, do you really seem to come into your own. You take charge. You are the central figure in the plot. You do not allow yourself to get shoulder to side by Miss Piggy. And you seem thoroughly at home with the requirements of genre, stereotype, and cliche. In the 1940s, you would have been under contract to MGM. And then he goes on to Mm. kind of acknowledge, like, yeah, okay, this kind of story has been done before, but he enjoyed it anyway, just because of Kermit's role in it. Which is interesting, because we've sort of, and some of our guests have sort of criticized the fact that a lot of this movie is just Kermit by himself, uh, removed from all his friends. But uh, it's a, that's an interesting way to look at it. Is you know Kermit kind of coming into his own in this one? Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, on the on the topic of Roger Ebert and of course Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune, we have mentioned before um, their reviews of all all three of these original movies are easily accessible online at this time from their TV show. You know, like. From their TV show, Cisco and Ebert at the movies or sneak previews. Yeah. But this one, the full episode is currently online. Oh. The full full episode with Muppet State Manhattan, which also features reviews of Bachelor Party, Last Night at the Alamo, 1984, the, the movie version with John Hurt that, of course, came out that year, and then Cannonball Run 2, and then they also look back at the career of Burt Reynolds. Uh, oh, nice. <laughs> and, and, and look at Deliverance, Hustle, and Stroker Ace, in addition to Cannonball Run 2. So, if you want to watch all that and a review of Muppet's Take Manhattan within 22 minutes, Siskel and Ebert, man, wow, nothing they, else like it. They what pack a, all what that show. into 22 minutes. Yeah. Uh, that's, what, I, that's what those old episodes are like, though. It's that's crazy great. how many reviews they do. I love it. Yeah. I took a screenwriting class uh, from in college from the guy who wrote Last Night at the Alamo. Was that right? Yes. I have still not seen the movie, but I took a class from him. I don't know what Siskel and Ebert thought, because I think I have probably seen this full episode, but not lately. Uh, Yeah, I've heard good things about it. He also wrote uh, The Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Oh, is he a a local boy? Kim Henkel, I should say. Uh, Yes, he's a Texan. Okay. But anyway. Neat. Uh, a lot of the critics commented uh, on how, like we were saying before, it's good entertainment for kids. Adults will also not mind sitting through it. Um, it's funny because these days when a new Muppet thing comes out, the response sort of centers around what people in their 30s and 40s think about it. <laughs> because yeah. it's the people who were kids when this came out are now the older, so... Things change. Uh, so let's see. I don't need to read 
excerpts from all of these reviews. Uh, Lou Cedrone in the Baltimore Evening Sun said the new film is the weakest of the three Muppet movies. The humor this time is not so subtle, but the film is so determinedly cheerful, no sane man would put it down. So, <laughs> kind of a mixed review there. Uh, Michael Blowen in the, the Boston Globe said, unlike the Muppet movie, which suffered from too many cameos, and the Great Muppet Caper, which was top-heavy with plot, the Muppets Take Manhattan combines the naivete of Kermit with the opportunism of Miss Piggy with astonishing results. So huh. that's a positive take. Uh, Catherine yeah, Rambeau. It's a very strange, it's a very strange positive take. Though, <laughs> yeah. Like it's like the tone of it is like after those last two crummy movies. Yeah. Finally, I can stomach these guys. Right. Here's like, why the Muppet movie it's, it's didn't weird. work. Here's yeah. why the great Muppet caper didn't work, but this one is good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Catherine Rambeau of the Detroit Free Press liked it more than she expected to. She said, The Muppets Take Manhattan is dear and dizzy, as brightly colored, sweet, and airy as carnival cotton candy. And then later she says, As perhaps the only person in the U.S. who by choice has never seen the Muppets for more than a total of perhaps 20 minutes, I was prepared to grit my teeth and suffer through the Muppets Take Manhattan. But after watching Rat Chef's Waltz Across a Grill on Pats of Butter... Miss Piggy run down a purse snatcher on a pair of commandeered roller skates, a bouquet of Muppets lighting up an all-white room, and Dr. Cyril Jenkins as an upscale marrying Sam. And I forgot to look up what that reference means. I became a Muppets convert. Uh, That's from uh, Lil Abner. Oh, okay. That's a preacher? Yeah, that's the preacher in the comic strip Lil Abner. Okay, marrying Sam. Uh, She said, I became a Muppets convert (laughs) for a couple of hours. Or... As one song's chorus goes, boom, boom, chihuahua. She, she was close. She was close. Yeah, yeah. Ma, it goes, mama, dada, boom, boom, chihuahua. Boom, boom, chihuahua. I, I, I just love that she walked out of the, the movie. Yeah, that was great. Boom, boom, chihuahua. Uh, Gene Siskel in his his review um, in the other Chicago paper, which is the Tribune. Tribune. Chicago Tribune. Yeah. Chicago Tribune. Uh, I'm Gene Siskel of the Chicago Tribune. There you go. He gave it three and a half stars. He singled out Juliana Donald for his, her skills at working with puppets. Um, so those were the contemporary reviews. I also looked for some more recent reviews from regular folks on the internet, because that always amuses me. Um, I found a half star review from letterboxd user, Steve K. He says more like the Muppets make me take a nap. Watch the first 30 to 40 mediocre minutes, then fell asleep. <laughs> so not a fan there. Uh, a one and a half star review from letterboxd user, Brian Kozer who said, after watching that, I would also like to be hit by a taxi and lose my memory. <laughs> Whoa! Which is, you know, brutal. But That's good. Yes, yes. Uh, one star review by Amazon user uh, named Rex Rusher. He says, no stars. The movie had a lot of inappropriate sexual innuendo if this is supposed to be a family movie. Very disturbing, violent scene with Miss Piggy that would frighten smaller children. Very disappointing installment. And I don't actually know what what the sexual innuendos and and Miss Piggy violence is that he's talking about. I mean, well, there... I guess the the mugger, uh, 
lot there's the thing where men yeah well the mugger but also like a bunch of guys sexually harass miss piggy oh that's the sexual violence against them okay yeah right probably yeah yes and then the violence i guess is her tackling the mugger and then all that stuff yeah yeah that's all i can figure yeah i don't know on the other hand, I found a five-star review from an Amazon user named Material Girl 8707 She says, presumably she says, In the past 28 years of my life, I think I can safely say that this is the greatest, most beautiful, and the most magnificent Muppet movie ever made in the history of mankind. Beautiful acting, singing, and dancing, <laughs> and just brings you joy and tears of joy. Especially the infinitely grand wedding scene. I think, I think throughout the course of my lifetime, I have seen this particular Muppet movie about 3,500 times. My mama and papa bought me the VHS back in 93 and the DVD in 2002 and love them and cherish them forever. My second favorite Muppet movie is The Great Muppet Caper, which is infinitely fabulous too. But Muppets Take Manhattan wins the gold. Muppet Caper, I've seen 3,000 times. But this Muppets Take Manhattan, I've seen the most, maybe even 4,000 times, followed by three exclamation points. So a very positive wow. review. And that's that's where I'll leave it there with, with the reviews. Well, so, so I just want to add, as long as we're talking about Letterboxd, I don't know if you follow the comedian Demi Adagiogbe on I do. Letterboxd, who I always find to be a delight. Oh, yes. He's but his, his review of this movie on Letterboxd ends with, Rizzo simmered so that ratatouille could boil. <laughs> yeah. Which I love. It's perfect. That's, it's it the, is best, perfect, it's yeah. the best possible way to say that. You yeah. Know? Uh, yeah. So that's all I have for reviews. All right. And so anything else you wanted to talk about before we go? Just a couple. Before we close quick... the book on Muppets Take Manhattan. I know. We're getting forever. so close. We're getting so close. Just a couple of quick things. Um, you had a correction about the names of the lions in front of the New York Public Library. Oh, right. I did have a correction about the lions. Um, I said in that episode, when we talked about patience and fortitude, I said that they were given their names by Mayor Fiorella LaGuardia in a press conference. That is not true. That did not happen. That was an embellishment in my head. Um, I After we recorded that episode, I was so excited about the library lions <laughs> that I got the book Top Cats, The Life and Times of the New York Public Library Lions by Susan G. Larkin Excellent. out of the library. Yeah, I got it through in her library alone. And in that book, she says that on his uh, weekly radio broadcasts, Mayor LaGuardia would say that the p- people of New York have patience and fortitude. This was like his sign-off, mm-hmm. was, was to talk about the patience and fortitude of the people of New York City. And they were just kind of given that nickname by the library because that was his catchphrase. He didn't, he didn't say these are the lions. He just said that all the time. So then the library was like, wait, we got patience and fortitude here. They are. And they're right here. Yeah. Okay. So it just kind of stuck that way. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Correct. And again, the title of the book is top cats, the life and times of the New York public library lions. And I would recommend it to everyone. Yes. Go to your public library and read all about it. Indeed. Hello, listeners. This is Ryan from Slightly in the Future. Uh, We're about to move on, but I just wanted to mention another thing that I forgot to get around to. Several episodes ago, I uh, promised that we would go back to the coffee cup that we see um, 
Ronnie Crawford holding in the scene where he meets Kermit, uh, this blue coffee cup with this sort of Greek-looking design. I think I mentioned uh, that this is a, a cup that you find all over New York City, and I said that I would talk about it more later, and then I forgot to talk about it more later. But uh, the information I do have comes from the website Untapped Cities, which says New York City's Greek coffee cup is called an anthora, which stems from the Greco-Roman amphora, an ancient container. It goes on to say, the story starts with New York City's wave of Greek emigrants during the early 1900s who brought a love for coffee along with them. This precipitated an influx in Greek-owned coffee shops and carts, over 600 of them. In 1963, the Sherry Cup Company created a standard coffee cup to appeal to these Greek food vendors and restaurant owners. The company's marketing director, Leslie Buck, then came up with a warm message for the cups. We are happy to serve you. The Anthora soon became New York City's go-to coffee cup. Uh, It also notes that the cups became somewhat scarce after the Solo Cup Company bought the manufacturer of the Anthora back in 2005, but in more recent years they have made a comeback, so you can still see them uh, around New York City. I definitely still see them uh, in takeout diners and food carts and places around the the city. So uh, next time you're in New York, keep an eye out for them. Uh, Also, we did have a couple people who... um, Uh, Some alert listeners who wrote to us with some info on the Anthora, including uh, previous guest Noah Diamond and listener Katie Lynn. So thanks to them for uh, not letting us uh, finish this podcast season without talking about the famous blue Greek-looking coffee cup. And now back to whatever Anthony and I are talking about next. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss before we close, Randy? Uh, I have some information that I did not have before when we talked about the saying goodbye number. We speculated about how kind of how they shot the the part where Gonzo and Camilla are in the back of that truck riding away from the city uh, mm-hmm. and like <clears throat> where the puppeteers might be and who the puppeteers might be. Uh, I found an article from the Echoes Sentinel from uh, Harding Township, New Jersey, or somewhere, no in, that, somewhere in that area. Um, reporter Elizabeth Lee Cutler uh, wrote this article on September 1st, 1983, saying that the Muppets had just filmed that shot in Harding Township. Uh, it takes place on Redgate Road. If anyone is such an obsessive Muppet fan that they want to go to the road where Gonzo and Camilla uh, filmed this shot in the truck. That's where that is. Uh, It says, in order to film a less than a minute montage sequence, a convoy of seven large trucks, a recreation vehicle, a classic auto carrier, and a horde of gaffes, apprentices, puppet makers, stage crew, et al., all followed large Gonzo signs to the location. Tracks were set and leveled on Redgate to roll the camera car behind the 1929 Chevrolet open truck into which Gonzo and Camilla bounced off into the picturesque countryside. Lights, taped music, and closed-circuit video were set up amidst the poison ivy, clover, and mailboxes. Uh, And then it, it also mentions that David Rudman is the puppeteer who's performing Camilla in that shot. 
Wow. Which is very interesting. Yeah, because that's so early in his career as a Muppet performer. Right. Um, It says, at the time of filming, the two puppeteers laid down on the job and were hidden under burlap sacks in the truck with a small video to guide them as they worked Gonzo and Camilla on the tailgate. Puppet makers stood by to pin and repair any puppet flaws. And then in the text of the article, it also notes that the scene is being directed by Fred Oz, the creator of the Muppet Show on Sesame Street. Nah, nah. (laughs) That is what it says. So, so so wait, wait, wait. This article like specifically identifies David Rudman as one of the puppeteers. I know, (laughs) but it also says that Fred Oz is the creator of the Muppets on Sesame Street. Yeah, (laughs) yes, yeah. This this article is so informational, and you get. Get down to that, and it's like mm, yeah, you almost had it. Uh, but then that is so weird. Well, then there's a photo of Frank Oz, and Fred the, Oz. but well, the photo caption correctly identifies him as Frank Oz and says that he is the voice of Bert and Ernie. <laughs> so it's kind of hilarious because Wait, there's. Is that- is that all it says? It doesn't say that he directed um, the movie. It just says Frank Oz, well, voice of Bert and Ernie. No, no. It says that he's the director of the... Yeah, that he's directing the movie and directing the scene that they're filming. But it, it's hilarious because there's sort of this misconception, or I don't know what it is, where people sometimes seem to think that Jim Henson performed every Muppet character. Right. But yeah. here, yeah, here's like, oh, Frank Oz, who is the voice of Bert and Ernie. He's, he's yeah. doing it all. Yeah. He, he is. You know, I love those. I love those Bert and Ernie sketches because Fred Oz, like, <laughs> it's he, he kind of has like a real Edgar Bergen, Charlie McCarthy thing going on with himself. Yeah, in those sketches, it's great. Yeah, he's so so talented because he also created Sesame Street. So yeah, he created Sesame Street. Yeah, but I just love finding little things like this because it's you yeah. Know, someone just happened to be there and reported on this, and it right. and also just to think about like, wow, yeah, that is making movies, especially Muppet movies, it takes so many people and just so much logistically. Seven trucks and all these crew members is crazy. Right, right. And that, how how long does fascinated. that shot last in the movie? That's just a few seconds in, in the finished A few film. seconds, yeah. yeah. I'm also fascinated that the truck is from 1929. Um, yeah, a 1929 open truck. It's a Chevrolet open truck. Um, so that's fifty four years. That's fifty four years before they shot this movie. Like that's not. Yeah. That would be that would be a nineteen sixty seven car today. Like that's not it. That's not a new car. That's a really good point, and I don't know why they wanted it to look old, so old. I guess the, like timelessness, right? I guess so. Yeah, you know, in the first season of this podcast, I would look things up on the Internet Movie Car Database. So we could find out like what make yeah. and model the the station wagon in the Muppet movie but, was, right? But the Muppet movie is a car movie. Yes, it's really a road is. a road movie. So yeah, this one has yeah. far fewer cars. This one doesn't even have a subway on it, you know. Yeah, which is interesting. But we did. Yeah. I think it was Craig Sheman when he was on brought our attention to the checker cabs, uh, right? Yeah, because yeah. it's a checker yeah. cab that hits Kermit. So I guess that's the most important car in this movie, right? Yeah. Um, so, but yeah, that's all I have for this clip and all I have for the Muppets take Manhattan. All right, there it is. Muppets take Manhattan. It's over. Put it in the can. We're done. But listeners, we will be back 
We will take a break as we have done after every movie. We will take a break, but we will return with Muppet Christmas Carol, two minutes at a time at some point in the future. It's going to be so much fun when we're talking about the Muppet Christmas Carol while it's, you know, summer outside. (laughs) Right. But here's the thing. Wherever you find love, it feels like Christmas. That's true. Yeah. So it doesn't matter if it's if it's June. It like, might, that'll it be might fine. improve our mood. It might make yeah make us feel like Christmas every day, every week. I might. Here, here's the thing, Ryan. You and I do this podcast together. You know, it's such a great thing. We get to talk all the time. Every single episode of this podcast for me is a sweet reunion with a friend or a brother. Ah. So we'll do it. We're gonna do it. Muppets Christmas. Muppets Christmas Carol. I just said good. Uh, fan let. <laughs> And license revoked. Um, no, but we're going to do Muppet Christmas Carol, two minutes at a time. But before that, we're going to be back with some bonus episodes. The first of which we will be looking at the Muppets, A Celebration of 30 Years, the 1986 TV special, which was the la- the next time these characters did anything after this movie. We've also gotten uh, questions about Follow That Bird. We are not going to do Follow That Bird as a bonus episode at this time. We have, we're thinking over some ideas about how to handle Follow That Bird or Sesame stuff on this podcast. Uh, But for now, we're just going to stick with the Muppet Show family of characters. Uh, Although, having said that, Sesame Street characters are in a celebration of 30 years. And also, we're probably going to do Labyrinth because we did Dark Crystal. Oh, yeah, that's true. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's our podcast and we can do what we want. Right, but at this time we're gonna we're gonna hold off on Sesame Street stuff for now. At, at this time, for now, right. Um, but we will be back with other bonus episodes. Uh, Tough Pigs' other podcast feed, Muppet Fan Podcast with ToughPigs.com, will be back with new content um, shortly. They pro- they may they might have something running right now when you They're, hear this. I, yeah, I'm, I'm not, not sure of the not exact sure. schedule, but just yeah, subscribe to that feed and keep an eye on it. Right. But thank you so much for listening. Thank you for. Uh, all the feedback you've given us over the past three movies, we look forward to, to much more of it. Uh, and and Ryan, thanks for being a delightful co-host as always. Yes, and thanks to you. This has been uh, this uh, yeah as always. This this has been another fun one. Right. So that's it. That's it for this for today, and that's it for this movie. Uh, listeners, while you're waiting for the next episode of Moving Right Along, you can go toughpigs.com on the internet, Facebook, Twitter. We're all over the place. You can become a patron of Tough Pigs on Patreon. Support this podcast and all the other stuff we do. If you feel so moved to do it, we would appreciate it. Even when we are not releasing episodes, you can always email us at movingrightalong at toughpigs.com. And a huge thank you, as always, to Stacey Rosen for composing our theme music and Morgan Davey for designing our logo. Yes. Now, now between seasons would also be the perfect time to give us that positive review you've been meaning to give us <laughs> on iTunes or uh, Apple Podcasts or your podcatcher of choice. We do check periodically, and, and we thank you to you know we want to say thank you to anyone who has given us a positive review. Right, we're we're always thrilled to see it, and uh, you can always always tell everyone you see or meet or encounter on the street that you love moving right along, and they should listen to it. Uh, And we will be back eventually with new episodes. But for now, bye-bye. Hasta luego.
don't sound like Tony Bennett to me. 